It's all the files of the whole park. It tells you everything. Sir, he's uploading the virus. Eagle one, the package is being delivered. It's straight out of a hacking thriller. Drug dealers, murderers, extortionists, traffickers, all using an encrypted network to openly talk about their illicit trade, amassing millions in messages. Then, like the magical hacks of a CSI cyber episode. I'm a behavioral scientist. Fancy for a human lie detector. I work crimes that start in the mind, live online. I'm a cyber cop. The cops were in the network and went on the offensive. In one of his wildest stories to date, and that's saying something, we have the great motherboard reporter Joseph Cox on the show this week tell us all about his wild cybercrime scoop. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber. So Joseph, you're back on Cyber, and for this one, I must say it's a very rare occasion in which you find out about a story in this space, especially that you've been covering for so long and I've been covering for so long, where you think to yourself, you know, those CSI examples of hacking that are really stupid and simplistic, one kind of came to life. Right, but before, yeah. <laughs> But before we get into that, let's just go right from the beginning. What is EncroChat? Sure, so EncroChat is a phone company not like AT&T, Verizon, or Sprint, or anything like that. They sell these custom encrypted phones. And by that, it means they're an Android device that's then loaded with an encrypted chat messenger, uh, various other privacy pieces of software. But they also physically sometimes have the GPS removed, the camera taking out the microphone as well. So these are particularly engineered and marketed towards the privacy or security focused. And of course, they they pitch themselves as a legitimate company in this space. Maybe you're an executive who wants to buy it. Maybe you're a security professional who wants to get one of these phones. Um, But of course, not everything is as it seems with um, EncroChat, at least. So was there any evidence that I would say legitimate people were using them? So what we found is that from talking to sources in the criminal underworld, those around it as well, and getting a cache of various leaked documents, it seems that the majority of users, and law enforcement reflect this point as well, or a very sizable majority of the users anyway, were criminal. So that is drug traffickers, that is hitmen, that's money launderers, all sorts of proper career criminals were using um, these devices to communicate and sort out the logistics of their illicit trades. Um, And once you go past that veneer, it seems that EncroChat is certainly not your ordinary phone company. It sits in this space that's populated by other encrypted phone companies. One that we previously covered was called MPC, and that was actually created and then ran by two drug trafficking on-the-run kingpins who are believed to currently be in Brazil. Um, And that is the sort of space that EncroChat sits in. And you got leaked information on this entire network, correct? Not the entire network, but an interesting slice of it. So the documents that we got are from sort of the law enforcement side, but then I sourced them through the criminal world. And it, it, it details the evidence against a particular EncroChat user. Um, for legal reasons, we can't name the actual person because it's a UK court case. And without to, without getting bogged down in legal details, basically, we just can't name the actual um, individual. But in broad strokes, 
uh, we went through this evidence and it does detail a very large alleged uh, drug trafficking operation with ketamine suppliers, cocaine suppliers, cannabis, ecstasy too. Um, and then you look at earlier media reports as well from Glasgow, from Gloucestershire, from various parts of the UK, and very varied uh, very varied parts of different criminal enterprises around Europe were using these phones. So you have this ultra-encrypted phone company and phone producer that's being used by gangsters across Europe, and then they're all talking very openly about their crimes and what they're doing and how they're trying to carry out their various businesses, illicit mm -hmm. businesses, I might they, add. They, they spoke incredibly openly, I, I would say, yeah, because they believed they were safer. They believed that this was a haven where they could speak openly. Sure, they did use some code names um, to refer to one another, but that's sort of a handle that comes with your EncoChat device or that you set up a user account on. But apart from that, there really wasn't much um, obfuscation in the language. They were just talking about selling kilograms of cocaine or any other drug. It was incredibly open, yeah. And the police hacked it. Yes, that's basically it. And I would say that um, over the past few weeks, maybe a few months, if you go back a little bit further, there's been sort of these little spikes of arrests, especially across Europe. Maybe a drug shipment was stopped in Europe. Uh, a drug trafficker was raided in Ireland. Um, and then also the guy that we covered in our story specifically, who's mentioned leaked documents that we call Mark, um, he was noticing that his associates were being arrested as well. And these were all des uh, you know, spread out gangs. These weren't necessarily related to one another, but clearly something was going on. And it turned out that the through thread connecting all of them together was EncroChat. Because as you say, law enforcement somehow took over um, a, a section of the phone network and it appears did some sort of mass hacking operation to obtain information on the users. And I would say that the exact contours of that hacking operation aren't exactly clear. I spoke to an associate of EncroChat at the time when they pushed out a message to their users saying, hey, we believe we've been taken over by, you know, some sort of government entity. Um, please get rid of your phones, throw them out. Um, I spoke to them after that and they decided to close down the network entirely. But it looks like law enforcement got a hell of a lot. And again, this is not just on EncroChat's comments or law enforcement's as well. It's based on the leaked documents, which does include the actual text messages uh, of this Mark character. Photos, um, very intimate messages. The police have then cross-referenced that material with other stuff they know about the suspects, such as their, you know, their front-facing business that maybe they used to launder money, their physical location, that sort of thing. So it's really laying bare and naked these alleged criminal um, operations. So they got basically the run of the entire network because it sounds like they got 100 million messages or something to that effect. And that kind of access, I mean, that kind of penetration by a law enforcement agency or it sounds like law enforcement agencies across Europe. Have you ever seen anything like that before? Because <laughs> you, I mean, you do a lot of this. I don't, I can't think of a, a better reporter on this beat of, of the dark world of cybersecurity and the online world of drug dealing, et cetera. Have yeah, you ever I mean, seen anything like this? We've, we've covered sort of mass hacking operations before. So the FBI has deployed what they call a network investigative technique against um, child abusers who would visit a pedophile-focused forum. And that involved just grabbing IP addresses, and that was something around 8,000 
um, computers, which is a hell of a lot. You know, when we reported that, that was the largest mass hacking operation at the time. This, as you say, 100 million messages and tens of thousands of EncroChat users. Now, judging by the way that EncroChat described it, they said they got one of the phones and they found mal malware on it. That, again, does suggest that malware in some form was pushed to each individual um, device. At least that is uh, our understanding at the moment. And again, I, uh, I stress that it is um, somewhat fuzzy. But I've never seen anything on this scale. And then the sources I spoke to in and around the criminal world, one said they, they've never seen anything like this. But what they meant was less the technological side and more the wave of arrests, more that serious career criminals are now going to ground. Some people are trying to escape the countries they're residing in. Um, and we're not just talking about, you know, people in the UK, Ireland, Europe. There are gangsters in Dubai who typically hide out there. Dubai is seen as a somewhat safe refuge if you're a British or a European gangster. And they are freaking out as well, according to um, people I spoke to in that world. So the consequences of this are hard to overstate. It's really hard to exaggerate just how big of a deal this is for um, organized crime. Hundreds of arrests just from the NCA in the UK, plenty more around Europe. And now I think we're going to start focusing more on the fallout. How is this going to impact, you know, bulk cocaine or other drug trafficking into the continent? This is, um, this is going to have a real tangible impact, not just on the networks, you know, sort of the higher echelons of crime or the mid echelons of organized crime, but on the street as well. Honestly, it's just, it's, it's totally and utterly one of the wildest stories that you've, you've dropped during a pandemic and it, it got a ton of attention, but it's, it's, it almost shows you just <laughs> where we are in society to, right. for shock value. But mm -hmm. for your space of reporting, this is like wild. I mean, these, are, these aren't just two-bit regional kingpins. These are tr like drug traffickers getting busted. Yeah, yeah. These, uh, of, of course, some will include street dealers because, um, but that's only in virtue of that. If you wanted to be, you know, a serious contender sort of in drug dealing in Europe or the UK, you basically needed one of these phones. In fact, one of the um, leaked text messages that we looked at is this alleged dealer mark uh, communicating with an associate, and one of them says, while complaining about another um, alleged um, employee or worker of theirs, complaining that this person didn't have a phone, and they were saying, what sort of drug dealer doesn't have a phone? It just shows you sort of how integral these EncroChat devices were to organized crime in that part of the world. You know, one thing that this reminds me of, and I, you know, I deal with a lot of extremists and terrorist organizations that use their own different types of encrypted chat networks, et cetera. And some of them I've, I mean, I've witnessed for myself, they speak so openly. And I remember I've spoken to sources before and I've said to them, you know, the degree to which law enforcement has penetrated some of these networks, you don't know because they could be watching in any which way they want. And when mm -hmm. you see a story like this, you start to realize the ways in which agencies like the FBI, you know, that called out for for uh, zero days for iPhones only not, what, three years ago after mm. San Bernardino? For backdoors, that sort of thing. For backdoors, that sort of thing. And we're seeing now that law enforcement is getting better at this and being able to get into these networks. And it's becoming, what do you do? Do you just go back to analog and, and radio if you're some sort of criminal operator? So I didn't put much of this commentary in the piece and I was going to kind of leave it to um, other people, which some people uh, did pick up on 
afterwards, but there is clearly an undercurrent throughout the entire article, which, you know, this wasn't um, necessitated by a formal backdoor, as we understand it. You know, there wasn't a legal demand from law enforcement to go to EncroChat and say, hey, you need to do X, Y, Z in the style that the FBI and the DOJ tried with Apple. Of course, they are two quite different cases. One is about getting live data, whereas the Apple one was about getting data at rest. But we do see that DOJ is, you know, going to try to get Facebook to provide uh, clear text content of calls uh, and similar sorts of thing around WhatsApp, um, very similar concerns around there as well. But clearly, law enforcement does have the capability in some instances to do investigations like this. That's also... Well, it's a positive on one end because it clearly shows that they can do investigations against serious organized cr criminals that are using somewhat sophisticated tools. On the other, um, it is important to remember this is this does appear to be a mass hacking operation where essentially it does look like law enforcement hacked tens of thousands of Android devices. In any other context, um, I think that would be even more concerning. The only way here that law enforcement, I imagine, pushed ahead with it is that because it was predominantly a criminal use network. This is not WhatsApp, you know, with a billion users, the vast, vast, vast majority of whom are going to be totally ordinary users, and it's not Facebook either. It's a very unusual case in that, but it does show the sort of lengths that law enforcement and organized criminals are willing to go to to meet both of their own ends. Well, that go. That's okay. Yeah, there was some beeping, um, but... Just a second, what was I going to say? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just the game is getting so much more complicated. It's becoming something, I think, like, simple people would think about cybersecurity because the government is becoming particularly adept at this. And, and that's... Mm -hmm. It's a weird place. It's almost as if the cyber's gotten too powerful. Are we going to go back analog? I imagine some well, some criminals are incredibly paranoid now about what devices to use. Is what one source close to the criminal world said. Um, so, of course, some criminals could go to more old school tactics, but that gives the trade off of security with efficiency. That's the trade off that happens. You can be super super secure and do everything by couriers, you know, Bin Laden style, but it's going to be a lot less quick. Uh, and then, of course, you could speed things up by using phones, but then you introduce the risk there. It's the trade-off um, that these criminals are going to have to try to grapple with now. And, you know, it is always a game of leapfrog, right? The criminals figure something out, they outsmart the police for a while, and then the, poli the police leapfrog them, and then the criminals then leapfrog the police. So I'm sure that there's going to be some ingenious, where there was a will, there's a way for criminals to, to keep engaging online in the way that they have. Yeah, I, I imagine that criminals are going to increasingly use apps such as Wicker, uh, which is basically very similar to Signal, but it allows you not to sign up with a phone number. Uh, I'm just waiting really for the day for someone to launch a phone, which has all of the microphone, camera, GPS removed, but comes pre-bundled um, with Wicker. I can see um, you know, some sort of company trying to fill the gap there, which, as you say, it's just another step forward and the police will catch up to that and we'll see what happens next. Great. Well, thank you for coming back on to uh, discuss this uh, insanity. Thank you so much.
Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So, Jason, it's another. I, I always have to change my to Fahrenheit, but we're you know we're getting we're in the nineties. It's a scorcher. It's a scorcher. It's a scorcher. Where I'm from, we call I this heard, in the thirties. But uh, I heard uh, I heard a certain podcast host got uh, sunburned I, this last weekend. I did. I did. I got very audacious. Forgot to put uh, sunblock on my back. Fell asleep. Had one of those, but I gotta say, I don't know if I regret it because I had one of those types of naps where it hits right in the sleep, the sweet spot like it really slaps like since i don't think i can remember that having something like that since like a decade ago so so a once in a decade nap leads to a once in a decade burn worth it though yeah actually that's probably the best way to put it it was worth it it was worth it Spe- speaking of uh burning speaking of burning okay so this story i i love this story only from Aaron's tweet, which was he basically got a letter in the mail, a handwritten letter in the mail saying, FOIA this, uh, this USPS car's burning. And then he did it. And what was it, like 4,000 pages of info later, you find out yeah, that these, that all these, all these postal, all these post office cars or USPS cars are, are burning just like immaculately. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like you said, this started, uh, from a tip Aaron got in the mail via the USPS, presumably, um, telling him to file a freedom of information act request, uh, into the Northrop Grumman. Um, let's see the Northrop Grumman USPS long life vehicles is what they're called the LLVs. And these are the mail trucks that, you know, come around neighborhoods in the suburbs and sometimes in the city too, um, and rural areas as well. Uh, they have like the right hand drive so that they can drive on the correct side of the road uh, and hand put the mail in the mailbox. I think this was definitely like an iconic part of my childhood. Me too. Probably not yours, Ben. Well, just, not, you, uh, just not USPS. Yeah. Just not USPS. Canada Post. Are the... Uh, Canada Post, are the trucks the same? Do they look similar? They look very similar. Probably they do. They look yeah. very similar. So anyways, um, these trucks have been blowing up, for lack of a better term. <laughs> self-immolating, been, self-immolating. They've been like quite literally just setting themselves on fire, spontaneously combusting. And uh, we're not sure why, um, because there's 4,000 pages of documents, uh, two different engineering firms, one called Trident Engineering and the other called Rimkiss Consulting Group tried to figure out why these cars were lighting on fire and neither of them has been able to figure out a pattern of, of why they have lit on fire. Which is quite insane. It is crazy. And so since 2014, 407 of these have been damaged or destroyed in fires, which is one every five days. 
Uh, and there have been multiple days in which there have been multiple trucks that have caught on fire. Um, the story opens with Aaron talking about uh, three trucks that were destroyed in three consecutive days in three different states all over the country. So this has happened in hot climates, cold climates, cities, rural areas, like pretty much everywhere. And the current like best guess is that basically these trucks are just so old that something goes wrong with them and then they catch fire. And like, these aren't little fires. These are fires where like, you need to go log on and look at the pictures. Um, you should be able to find it on motherboard.vice.com. Like these trucks are blown up. It like, literally like reminds me of, of photos of, you know, people, you know, when you were younger and people would tell you about like self combustion and it would be like a person and like a, at a couch okay. or something. It kind of reminds me of that. <laughs> Although I know obviously it's, it's much different. But yeah, the randomness of the fire looks or not randomness, but the complete completeness of it is is interesting. Right. And so the issue appears to be that like a lot of these were built between 1987 and 1994. Um, and many of these trucks have been on the road basically every single day for 20 between 26 and 33 years. Like presumably some of them have millions of miles on them i would think since they're being driven all day every day delivering mail and so basically something is going wrong with them uh, it's like a variety of problems and and they're getting caught on fire and they're blowing up and so we're trying to learn more about this i mean we have 4000 pages of fire investigation reports but both of like all of the studies and investigations into them have been um inconclusive so we don't know what's happened but it's crazy. Not good. And, it's, and one of the reasons why like, USPS hasn't been able to replace these is because Congress uh, passed the Postal Accountability and Enhancement Act, which is a 2006 law that essentially bankrupted the USPS uh, because it required them to set aside $72 billion to pay for health care for its current and future workforce for the next 75 years, which means that they basically like have 72 billion dollars that they're not able to use because they need to be able to pay for health care in like 2078 which is well I, I don't know i don't understand that law because uh i am not a post office geek but it seems like not a good law <laughs> no it's yeah the stories there's gonna be more to it love Aaron's stories they're always like yeah. so vast and bizarre but then uh, they are bizarre but have something to do with an infrastructure we constantly use and take for granted. Yes. <laughs> okay, so this is another one from a uh, friend of the show, Lorenzo Franceschi Bicherai. He, he's been reporting on Blue Leaks, which is the organization that's been publishing trove of uh, U.S. police internal documents and DDoS secrets, which is, we've, we've, we've uh, talked a lot about them in the past, and of course, Emma Best is somebody we've, We've reported on many times, but looks like they were seized in Germany. The servers that it was housed on. Yeah, so DDoS Secrets is, as you mentioned, a um, WikiLeaks style website run by, I think, friend of the show, Emma Best. I, I like Emma Best. They are a FOIA expert as well as just like public records geek, I think is a good way to describe them. And 
they started this website called Distributed Denial of Secrets, and they've been releasing various leaked documents for the last, I don't know, six months to a year or so. And um, have we talked about Blue Leaks on this show? I don't think we have. I don't know if you... I don't think we have. Maybe you've talked about it with, with Lorenzo. I'm not sure. But in any case... Um, I think like three weeks ago or so, they came across a trove of internal police documents um, sort of during the height of the Black Lives Matter protests and published them on their website. And uh, a lot of these documents, like some of them seem to be uh, like readily available or FOIA'd, but others of them were maybe not. Like it's unclear if some of them were hacked, like... uh, we're just not really sure where they came from, but you know, it's obviously a very notable database of files that has a lot of, a lot of files in the public interest. So uh, distributed denial of secrets published them and, you know, it got some attention. We wrote about it. I think that we've been going through the files just to determine like if there's any follow-ups here, it's a total of 270 gigabytes of data. So we're still uh, looking through them and a lot of them appear to come from police fusion centers so we've talked about fusion centers before, but they're basically like data clearing houses for law enforcement. Yes, but there's also yeah. lots of agency connections to fusion centers. They're very nefarious. Basically, where all this so much information about citizens sort of flows through, whether it be right, right. it's like state, local, and federal data. Yeah, um, that, that filters both up and down. That the alphabet agencies then have access to as well. Right. And so, you know, this came up and uh, this doc- these documents were published and then um, distributed denial of secrets, uh, published a link to it on Twitter and then Twitter banned the organization's account, which is bad or I don't know, it's at least controversial. We can talk about it uh, later. And then today it turns out that police in Germany seized the server that these were hosted on. So these were this was the prosecutor's office in Zwickau, Germany. Uh, I think I said that probably wrong, but Zwickau, Zwickau, yes. And uh, don't speak so German, that, FYI. Yeah, that got uh, seized today, uh, seemingly, and that's kind of where the story is at right now. So I'm not sure what's going to happen next, but this is uh, probably not the end, since Emma Best told us that they are planning on hosting the data elsewhere and sort of building an entirely new infrastructure around DDoS. So that's exciting. I'll also say Berlin, Germany, the site of a WikiLeaks monument. Did you know that? Didn't know that. Yeah. No. Nope. Yeah, there is. Is it Assange? No, I can't. Remember. I've I've seen it before. I I don't actually remember its details. To be honest with you, it was a little underwhelming. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> okay. Not that I don't think that uh, WikiLeaks is is uh, significant historically, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, our last story. Last story of the day. Yeah, one more. So I want to talk about uh, Piehole, which is a device that... Hi, hole. Matthew Galt, who not hosts, my mouth. Yeah, who hosted, <laughs> who hosted an episode of Cyber a few weeks ago. Built. Um, I mean, he didn't invent this himself, but it's something that he built and tried out. Uh, and it's basically a Raspberry Pi that you connect to your network, your internet network, and it catches uh, scripts and ads and kills them before they reach your um, 
reach your browser. So essentially you're blocking ads on a network level rather than blocking ads uh, on a browser level, which means that they never come to you. And a lot of times websites can't detect how you're blocking the ads or if you're blocking the ads. So things load faster. Um, and it's just like a cool little piece of technology. So we wrote a guide to building one, explained how one can do this. And uh, it's something that you should check out. It's something that I might build too. I haven't yet. But yeah, Raspberry Pi is a very cool device. And uh, the Pi hole seems to, uh, seems to be a fun project that you can do with one. Yes, the Raspberry uh, Pi is, is a classic, he, he classic just, hacker's device. Yeah, this is something where Matt just kind of like went down the rabbit hole and was like, I'm going to build one of these and tell you how it goes. And uh, he found it to be like worthwhile experience and explained like how it works and thought it was a thing that we should share with cyber. So this is not like a certainly not an ad. It's just like a cool thing that we built that we wanted to pass your way. So check it out. Look out for that link. All right, Jason, I'll see you at uh, the Rockaways. Uh huh. Don't uh, wear sunscreen next time. I will. I will. Oh, okay. God. Will I ever? All right. Uh-huh. Bye. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW.